0: We got to a point where it just, it wasn't working. I think for me, I was having a lot of some of the symptoms of burnout I was holding it in and getting kind of angry. And, um, and so I just got to this point and rather than actually admitting it and working through it, it became you know, very much a burnout type of scenario.
1: This week's topic, I have to admit, is one that I wasn't very close to until recently. You see, as someone who's never been a true day in and day out software developer, I've never experienced developer burnout. And I have to also be transparent. At first, I thought to myself, what's so special about developers? I've been overworked before and I powered through and I've been fine after a little break. But my eyes were certainly opened as I started to do some research. I found a few really interesting characteristics of developers and their work that are quite. Quite unique. It should also be noted that there are more software developers now than there ever have been. We've seen in the past decade a drastic increase in the accessibility of software development as a career. Software is everywhere. Now, Mark Andreessen, the co-founder of Netscape and quite an entrepreneur and investor, has an interesting quote, and he says that software is eating the world, but it appears to come at a price because as Richard Dansky, a software developer and entrepreneur who you'll get to hear from a little later in the episode, he wrote an article about developer burnout for Psychology Today, and he stated that while software is eating the world, software is also eating developers. Now, we're going to get some different perspectives and definition on the types of developer burnout, but in the conversation I had with Richard, he put it pretty succinctly.
2: In, in, in my experience, really, like, you know, burnout is is, is when you, when you don't want to do the things that you do on a day-to-day
1: basis. Day. Well, as you've probably figured out, this week's episode is a little different than most that we've had before. We're going to dig into this topic of developer burnout and understand a little bit more from their own perspective, what's happening to them and how we can help combat that. The line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking the sweat.
0: That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused
1: on the business objectives.
0: That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter.
1: So developers, by their very nature, are curious, they're problem solvers. By the way, those are the perfect traits that you want in a developer. Someone who can be given a problem or a puzzle to solve. And the pieces to that solution are in the form of some sort of computer programming language. Now, to create these pieces of code to solve the puzzle takes an incredible amount of brain power, concentration, and time. Now this isn't a mindless 500 piece puzzle of a vacation sunrise, it's so much more complex. You see they have to envision the solution in their brain, they have to create something brand new out of thin air that's a solution just to one piece of the problem or the puzzle that elegantly fits together with all the other pieces which creates the beautiful picture or the end application that you and your team were ultimately asked to build so that throughout the Process. you and your team your leadership and the customer will stand around and celebrate as the borders are found and the sections are filled in and in the end everyone marvels and celebrates the beauty and the elegance of the application that emerges. Well, that's a beautiful picture. So what's the problem here, you ask? You've got this group of highly intelligent individuals rallied around a goal, and they're ready to work. Well, let me ask you a few questions. What do you think happens to the developer when she's asked to work on more than one puzzle piece at a time, or what happens when she's working on two or three or four puzzles at a time? And what happens when the goal to finish the work was set before anyone was aware that it was a 500,000-piece puzzle? What happens when the people leading the effort don't tell the developers what the end picture even looks like in great enough detail. Now to start understanding this from one developer's perspective, I'd like to introduce you to Chris O'Malley, a lifelong developer who now leads a team of developers over at Anika. Chris, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what you do.
0: I am a senior practice manager um, for our cloud native development group. So basically, I kind of oversee a group of of individuals that specifically help them build applications. They may be business applications. They may be customer-facing applications. Um, We'll help them start with an idea and then kind of take it into production. Sometimes it's more MVP or more POC, so smaller. And then other times it's legacy applications. And uh, we're basically taking something that used to exist and they want to modernize it and we'll help them uh, get from A to B.
1: All right, so let's go back in time just a little bit. And when meetings are held, you're quiet. When feedback is given, you're a little bit snarky. You, my friend, are a burned out, angry developer. Won't you tell us what was going on?
0: Yeah, so I think um, if, if I try to put myself back in that place, I, I basically I had had various challenges kind of through the the course of time there. And you know, I've had some time in the interim to think about it, and I think even. The team members i work with at the time would would probably agree you know we could have done things differently in the way things evolved as a startup um you know we, we got to a, a point where it just it wasn't working and um i think for me um i was having a lot of some of the you know uh symptoms of burnout and rather than actually sitting with them and realizing you know what i was experiencing i was kind of just holding it in and and um getting kind of angry and the, cha- the challenges that I had had sort of accumulated and I hadn't really done a great job of, of sharing my experiences. Um, and so I just got to this point and, um, rather than actually admitting it and, and, you know, working through it, it became, you know, very much a burnout type scenario.
1: So as you start to feel this inside, what did you as an individual do to really try to even understand or even combat or deal with the situation?
0: Um, a lot of it was, uh, I, I guess um, just <laughs> trying to leave work where it was and not bring it home but it but in fact it was percolating throughout and just really actually understanding that that was what was going on and that I I, I could turn it off if I wanted to um, that was a that was a key part of it and so yeah I, I I think it was not easy and I think the biggest change really was realizing that I could actually, you know, take, a, take another path um, and that I had gotten to that state and um, that I could, could do something about it.
1: So I've seen some statistics that speak to the fact that when developers get into this situation, a lot of them will just kind of throw in the towel and move on to another career or aspect of, of IT. Uh, was that ever on the table for you or was it really just about changing your situation?
0: Yeah, I think it was more of the latter. I mean, I, I really, I mean, I wanted to continue in the space and continue to do the same sort of work, but I, I think um, the situation had just um, gotten to a point where it wasn't workable for me. And I, I take some of the responsibility. I mean, I, I have a certain personality. I'm a certain type of person. Um, I, I really uh, am am trying to push the envelope. I want to get things done. I want to move things forward. Um, and on the uh, But on the other hand, I think, certain pressures of working in uh you know with, with certain companies and in, in particularly a startup environment can just kind of lead to this feedback loop where you're you're willing to get pushed and then there is the push and then it just eventually just kind of you know uh gets to a point where um you you get burned out basically <laughs> that's that's how it works and, and and it's it's uh you you have to be able to kind of like ease up and and back off on things and um you know, I think part of it is just an environmental shift as well. Like you get into these habits and certain relationships really. And you realize, you know, we, this isn't working and, um, it, it's not enough to try to, uh, to, to, solve within the group. You actually kind of have to like go your separate ways. And it doesn't mean you never talk ever again. And just like you're, you you can not be, uh, be friends in some form, but it means that, you know, we're going to take a break from working together here. We're going to actually go explore, um, other, other projects and other teams and so forth. And, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely learned a lot from the experience personally and professionally.
1: Boy, a lot to unpack there of what Chris just mentioned, but I want to bring into the conversation Gwen Faraday, somebody who you know is a developer and she's got actually a pretty prolific uh, site on YouTube, but she's got some really interesting thoughts around what burnout is and how to deal with it, and even the dynamics that exist inside of the company that you really might want to watch out for as well. So Gwen, welcome to the program. Why don't we start by having you define what developer burnout is to you?
3: It's basically when your physical and mental state is affected by being overworked. So it's not quite a diagnosable mental condition like depression or anxiety, but those things can manifest from being burned out.
1: So is this something that you've experienced yourself?
3: Throughout my career, I've actually been burned out several times. And a few of those times, it was a very hard rock bottom that I hit.
1: So lots of developers experience burnout. Is there anything in your own makeup that you think makes you maybe a little more susceptible to, to being burned out?
3: So I'm a very naturally addictive person. I get very easily addicted to things. I had problems in the past with this. And so coming into coding, doing something that I enjoy so much, it's just very difficult for me to stop doing it. And at several points in my career, I've ended up taking on so much work that I get this mental overload to such a state that I start experiencing extreme burnout. And this actually happened to me recently.
1: So what makes developer burnout different from sheer physical exhaustion that you might experience from, say, burning the candle at both ends in any profession?
3: developer, the type of deep mental work that it requires is so mentally strenuous that it's impossible to work for, you know, 16, 18 hours a day or even maybe 10 or 12 hours straight a day and not feel burned out afterwards. You really need to give your mind some time to rest and relax.
1: I really appreciate your honesty about how you've experienced burnout yourself. What does that look like for you when it occurs?
3: So, burnout is a little bit different for everyone. Some of the symptoms that I usually experience are extreme levels of stress, not being able to sleep very well, headaches, not being able to mentally focus, uh, feeling foggy or brain fogginess, being extra forgetful, going into meetings, can't even remember what I was going to say, a complete loss of motivation sometimes to do anything. And also for me personally, I stop wanting to talk to people or communicate at all. I just want to completely shut myself off and basically not do anything, which just overall hasn't been a very good thing for my relationships and social life and mental health.
1: I love how you told me earlier that one thing that helped you was just your ability to say, no. And to not put too much on your plate or to put yourself in the situation which ultimately can lead to burnout. That sounds well, it sounds like some really hard lessons to have had to learn. Now, one thing that I've I've seen as well is that developers, they well, they don't always speak up for themselves. What else has been a benefit to you?
3: Another thing that has actually helped me is realizing that companies do not care about you. Unless it's maybe an employee owned company or a small company, maybe. Otherwise, they really couldn't care less about your mental health, your physical health. Anytime they ask you for a favor to work overtime, it's not for you. It's just so the management can look better. A lot of times you're not getting extra compensation for it because in reality, you're just trading your time for some form of compensation for the company, like monetary gain. So you get a salary. The company doesn't care about your long-term health or success in your career. You have to take care of that yourself. And too many times I was doing too many things for a company that I shouldn't have been doing. I should have had better boundaries. I'm terrible at drawing boundaries sometimes. So that's one thing I've really had to deal with was where do I draw the line? Where do I say no? Especially in the last six months, I've really focused on reading these kind of self-help books. Not just about productivity, but also about how to say no and how to create reasonable boundaries
1: so aside from from boundaries and learning to say no as someone who's experienced developer burnout is there anything else that you're doing to help combat getting it again
3: so this year and especially in the last couple weeks i've really been working on having good morning routines so i wake up i pray or meditate go for a walk stretch try to clear my head drink lots of water work out I try to take care of all of those things in the morning to set myself up in the best way for the day and I used to say oh I don't have time to do all these things in the morning but I realized if I don't do them then I feel a lot more drained and a lot more stressed throughout the day and I also end up making poor decisions for my health which ironically just leads to more burnout it's just a vicious cycle. So now I'm eating much healthier. I'm drinking a lot of water. I'm exercising and not overworking myself. And I really feel clear headed and in a well balanced position right now.
1: So let's go back to Richard. Richard, we actually have heard from you before, but why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? So I'm Richard. And with the introductions,
2: I'm, I'm always, I advise a bunch of teams uh, with, with all sorts of things. So I interim cto at a set of companies, I studied other companies. Uh, I'm I'm a software developer. I'm a mathematician. I, I I write. I do, yeah. I do I do a lot of things uh, so that I don't get bored. Yes, the- <laughs> I've
1: heard it said that being a developer requires well a certain amount of creativity. It's um
2: yeah it's a kind of creativity when you when you have to um to see things that
1: that that are hard
2: to see. I, I don't know how to explain that. Like there's a there's a book, Kudel um, Escherbach, which is um like the Goodell, the mathematician, Isha, the um uh, the graphic uh, like the painter and then uh, Bach the composer and and they all sort of work with uh, with very interesting structures and um and it's you know it's just it's it's the kind of thing that that is fun to play with.
1: so you know there's there's so many moving parts when you think about development work you've got of course the developers the team leads the the leadership you've got customers there's so much to think about when when considering you know who's to blame when it happens or who should be really driving the solution exactly in
2: in general i think and and that's where that's where the you know the, the question of burnout um and and, and whose responsibility is to you know, to let people burn out—is it managers? Is it—is uh, it yourself as a as a developer? Is it a, like uh, who who is it going to be who, who can do something about it? And um and I think the 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 answer really is you have to set the expectations right. Like if you if you're the kind of company that says we are the most creative, you know, company like a game development company, just because we told you about it before, and this is the, the cutting edge of that thing. And, and you want to attract those kind of developers, then those kind of developers kind of feel uh, let down by the day-to-day once, uh, once they, they study the job.
1: So, Chris, back to you. You've been in this industry for quite a while. How did you get started in development?
0: Yeah, so I guess um, back, back when I was much younger, uh, I was always really drawn to math uh, and science and um, also was big into music. And so I, th- I think kind of the original thing that that got me into technology really actually was uh, playing music and being in bands and recording. Um, I got into kind of live sound and 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 then you know way back when people used cassettes, I had a f- four track with the band that I was working with and we recorded things and got into uh, digital production as well at some point. And then when I went to school, I actually went to school for electrical engineering and audio engineering um, type degree. Um, and from there, from school. Um, began working in the pro audio realm for, for a while, um, doing some embedded, uh, software development and, uh, VHDL, digital design, working with FPGAs and stuff like that. Um, the turning point for me was like around the time the iPhone came out and, uh, basically saw kind of what was happening there and saw a lot of potential and everybody basically having a computer in their hand all the time. Um, so I made the transition and started getting into mobile development. Um, and then just kind of went up the stack from there, um, got into to back end development as well and and big data and, and and these various areas. But for the longest time was was still kind of interested in, in um hardware and software and the junction between those things. And even now some of the projects we work on um with, with Rackspace are IoT focused. So they again start with sensors kind of out in the field and and data making their way into into AWS and then visualizing it. So there's still hardware aspects in, in the work that I do now.
1: So Gwen mentioned before some of the things that she thinks makes developers more prone to burnout. What, what are your thoughts, Chris, on the matter?
0: Yeah, so there's a, there's a few factors there. I'd say kind of the one that comes to mind first for me is this idea around software being and the timelines around development of it being fungible. Um, and this is something I've experienced at different points, but um, particularly when there was this idea of software and hardware talking together um, there is, when you're designing a, a component or, or a computer or, or some sort of external device and you have to uh, design the PCBs and send those out, have them manufactured and bring them back, there's, there's a certain um, delay or, or time frame baked into that. Um, and often that's um, accounted for because it takes time to do that work. There's supply chain issues. You got to get all the components. You got to get the board stuffed and, and so forth. Um, so that's the, that's the hard part. It's the part that takes a while. And then by the time the hardware arrives... You know the firmware is the easy part, right? We're just gonna you know do some firmware and stick it in there, and then we're off to go. We can we can start showing up to customers, and then by extension, if that device happens to talk to a, a computer or backend as well, it's like oh yeah, again that's the easy part. We just have to kind of you know t- bang out some software there, and so you end up in these situations where the time frame for the software component or firmware component is compressed versus the ent- entire timeline of the hardware, and you can mitigate that as well. But that's a that's a management issue. That's a time time management issue and understanding, like, how are we sequencing these products? And most places are not just building one device, they're building multiple, and they're having to kind of manage all of these timelines uh, together. So that's a bit, that's another uh, scenario, another, you know, one primary reason, I, I think, for it. The, the other one might be more on the on the personality side. I guess the people who are drawn to to working in technology and programming, I think, are the sort of people who are very curious, um, and they are really like to explore things and, and dive deep into whatever it is that they're working with. Um, and if you're in a scenario where the, the, the company is like pushing you and they, they'll say, Hey, um, you know, we, we need to do this. We need to do it quickly. You're, you're excited because you get to look, work on something new, or you get to work on something that, um, is, is just has to be done quickly and you have to think fast and solve it. Um, you, you're, you're like more than happy to do that. But then if you keep kind of doing that over and over again, you can get in this scenario where you you just, you're just burned out. You, you've done it too much. you your, your head's constantly in your work. You don't have time for yourself, time to think, time to decompress. And so you, you end up in this sort of burned out state.
1: So you've got the type of work that you're doing and then uh, potentially these super long hours on super long days strung together into super long weeks. In- in- incredibly challenging.
0: Even still, if you're doing working normal hours, um, you can still get in this sort of burned out state. And it, and it could even be from maybe solving the same problems over and over again or solving them and not actually... Feeling like what you've committed there is is um, solving a big problem, like you're committing to a a, um, a, a a you know broader mission, or maybe you don't even feel that strongly about the mission anymore. Um, this can also sort of lead to to burn a burned out state as well.
1: It's interesting you bring up that you know being part of the mission or bought into the mission is something that's important as well. It reminds me of the Fred Reichold quote, and the key part of it is everybody wants to be on an inspiring mission.
0: Absolutely, I, I think. I mean, all of my colleagues present and and former, they all want to feel like they're contributing to something, something bigger, right. They, they got into programming because they liked working with um, software, like working with technology. uh, And if in a lot of instances, they'd probably be playing with it, even if they, they, you know, had a lot of free time. Um, That's not always universally true. I would, I would never make that assertion that, uh, but in any case, um, when they are spending their time, when that, when this is their job and, and they're, they're, uh, programming and building something, they want to know that it's actually going to have an impact. Um, and they, they also want to have some agency around like the, the full picture. If they're part of a huge um, system, I mean, even if it's a bunch of smaller systems combined together, they want to understand that their system is important and, and has real value within the overall picture of things. Um, and so it's, it's important that that be communicated to them and that they don't just are just handed requirements and say, here you go, just go build this. Um, and that can even evolve over time where they maybe earlier on had a, had a mind in the mission or maybe it's a startup and they had some input in how the product was built. And then over time, they just get further and further away from it. Um, and they, again, start to feel disconnected and, and somewhat burned out about just not having the, um, a, as much investment in, in, in uh, the product that's coming out.
1: So you've got this group of people who are curious by nature. They're highly intelligent and they love a good problem. And when they're given this good problem and they understand the mission that they're on and how it contributes to the whole are people who will just pour themselves into it. Now, these characteristics in and of themselves aren't bad, but they are characteristics of these dynamic creatives that need to be led. They need to be managed by their leadership. And the reality is if they're not led well, it's not just that a job might not get completed on time or completed at all, but real people can be hurt along the way.
0: Yeah. Uh, 100% agree with that. Um, and I like what you were saying at the beginning around the, the 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 resources and their skills and your your responsibility as a manager actually is to recognize that. And I mean, everybody on your team is going to be different. They're going to have different things that they're good at. Um, and they may work at a certain pace on certain things and faster at others, slower. Um, they may be more methodical. And it's your job to kind of understand that and know how to distribute that well in the work that you're trying to do. And you know, the reality is just given kind of the, the space that we're in is is there's going to be some periods where you have to put in more time. Um, you may have to work a little bit longer hours or it's going to be a little more intense than it than it normally is. But it's the, the, jo- the job of the manager is to recognize that and foresee it and communicate it up front and be there and, and be able to be uh, kind of reached out to and supportive during the time. And then afterwards, just recognize, hey, you just put a lot of time in, you know, we're gonna we're gonna back off or we're gonna give you a little bit of a break, we're gonna recognize you for doing that. And then, you know, we'll try to avoid these things in the future, right? If if if, if it's manageable. Um, so that's that it is. It's very much a management thing about understanding who they're working with, what their team comprises and 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 how to just, how to deploy those people as needed. For, for the work that needs to get done.
1: So there's onus on the developer that when they're asked to speak honestly about their workload and about how they're feeling and just their general mental makeup. But there's also a huge amount of onus on the manager to ask the question.
0: It's, it's, it's incumbent upon the, the manager to do that and to have those regular touch points uh, to, to you know get that information.
1: All right. So, you know, I'm from Texas and my analogies can sometimes take a bit of a Western theme. So imagine the stagecoach and the stagecoach has a team of horses in front of it. And those horses are bred to want to run. They're trained to pull that stagecoach and they love to do it. But it's up to the stagecoach driver to ensure that, you know, they stay on the road, don't go fall off a cliff. And they also have to make sure that while that horse loves to run and will actually potentially run itself to death, that they know the personalities of those horses, and they manage uh, the pace, and they manage the job that's getting done. That is real leadership.
0: It absolutely is. Um, it's a big. It's a big part of it, and it's often why you the stories of the developer manager are are are, are hard to, to wrap my head around at least because the reality is like a big part of the job is is doing all this work, and it takes time, um, and it takes focus, and it's it's a it's a problem of its own to solve quite different in some ways from 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 development uh and so i mean getting back to the actual issue is is it's it's you have to spend the time getting to know the team and to some extent um with with our team now uh, w- with how we work we we get different team members get to work uh, on different projects and again you start to get a sense of what they like to do and what they're good at some devs like to do more back-end work and are not as interested in doing front-end development and vice versa um, and, and so you start to figure these things out, even though they may have that skill set and they can actually do it if, if you find something that they actually like to do. Um, and it also could be that they simply like to be thrown into a project where there's something new that they haven't really touched before and they get that opportunity to work with uh, a peer who is uh, familiar with that and they just get to you know drink from their fire hose and ramp up really quickly. So that's um, you know th- th- this is it. It's, it's, it's a lot of just getting to know the people, spending time with them, making sure you understand um, the other thing is this is a moment too early on with people where you might be able to recognize burnout symptoms potentially, potentially somebody on your team who who could be prone to that. You may even learn from talking to them that they actually had a burnout situation at a prior gig. Um, and, and you can actually explore that, and talk about that and even learn, hey, wh- how did this happen? What, what was the result? And they may have been part of a startup or they may have been part of a, a, a team that was running a legacy system and they just had struggles with that. Um, But yeah, there's, you got to do your homework. You got to spend the time um, with the team members and really understand what drives them so that you can get them to, to work together to, to, um, to, you know, build, build cool things.
1: All right. So you mentioned to me earlier that there are actually three different types of burnout that you've classified. What are they? And let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah.
0: So, so this is obviously very specific to, to my own experience and there may be other types out there in the wild, but the ones that I've observed are, are three. Um, there's the angry dev. Um, the angry dev is kind of standoffish, uh, doesn't take feedback well, uh, non-collaborative and argumentative. And some some people actually just think that this is a type of dev that's out there that you just have to live with. In fact, it's not, it's often a symptom of being burned out um, and that person or that individual maybe just needs a break um, and, and maybe needs some, some time to reflect. Um, there's the withdrawn dev. Um, so this one doesn't show up for meetings um, or if they're present, they don't really talk or contribute in any sort of way. Uh, you probably can't f- get them to respond on Slack or text message or anything like that. They're just kind of fully withdrawn. Um, and the last one is the, the rudderless dev. And so this is one who's kind of prone to rabbit holing. Um, you might uh, give them a, a, a task where they're working on a JIRA story and they start that up and then they just don't get really far with it. And then they like want to sw- shift gears to another thing and they rabbit hole on that. And basically they just end up with a lot of different work kind of in progress. Nothing gets done and they're just unable to focus and, and, and actually get anything uh, across the finish line. All
1: right. So developer burnout, it's real. But I think what we're also saying and what the evidence, at least especially your experience, supports is that nine times out of 10, burnout could have been solved for and is the responsibility of leadership.
0: Absolutely. Um, and, and oftentimes, you know, you, you, you talk about um, startups and how they kind of get going, for instance. I, I know I keep coming back to these examples, but these are common scenarios where, where it happens. They have an idea, they kind of get it out there um, and they start to get customers and they start to grow, but they haven't necessarily gone back. And again, you mentioned processes. And this is a big part about you know, what we do with our team is making sure that good development practice um, around, you know, just code hygiene, writing, writing unit tests all the way up to having a pipeline. Um to deploying code, um, proper testing, automation, all that sort of stuff actually lends itself to uh, happier developers and and probably in, and by extension, avoiding burnout um, because you have systems in place, there's checks and balances, there's confidence around what's being done and a process for how to do it. Um, and when you have those kinds of things in place, and, and even in a scenario where they weren't there first, but we be- go back and make sure they're there and they're working correctly, they can help avoid burnout and they could give developers the confidence that things are going to be done smoothly and they're not going to have to jump in in the middle of the night to fix something.
1: So when management manages the situation well and emergencies like this come up, you have developers who will be much more willing to jump in to solve things Mm -hmm. in the middle of the night or through a weekend if that's what's necessary to carry the project forward knowing that sometimes things do just come up, but they're not a systemic thing and they can trust the fact that the organization is ideally looking out for them in the long haul. And when they've got to go and work through the weekend, let's say, that they won't schedule that Monday morning, eight o'clock, hey, let's kick off the week with a big rah-rah session, but maybe leave a little space for the developer and the team to recover.
0: Absolutely. Um, And again, um, I I think you're potentially in a scenario here too where the culture of the organization of, having boundaries and really recognizing when, when somebody's gone above and beyond and saying, Hey, that you, you, you really went out on a limb there and got that done for us. Um, it's, you know, it's out of the ordinary. We really appreciate you doing that. Um, and, and by extension saying that, you know, the, the tacit, um, part of that is, Hey, uh, we're not expecting you to do that all the time. You've done this once or twice for us here, but, and so your, your scenario with the project managers, they'll do that, but they, they, they want to make sure when they're communicating that uh, this is not something I'm going to continue to ask you for. If you say yes this time, then I'm going to ask you again and again and again. I'm going to keep pushing you on it. This is where it's like, could you do it this one time or, or can we make an exception here? Something like that. And then just really recognize that person for, for doing that.
1: So you keep using that word recognize. And that, of course, uh, speaks to culture and the culture of an organization. Tell us a little bit about the culture of Hanukkah and what it was like over there.
0: Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, Annika, um, I, I joined Anika f- um fairly early on. I think I was maybe an employee sixty. Um, but yeah, we, I mean, we grow grew very fast. But one of the things that was really uh, important to the the, the founders, um, Stephen, and 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 other kind of early stage members of that team was just that was the culture and recognition and winning together. Um, and so that was um, just something that re- that really spoke to me. I mean, it's it's kind of like even thinking about it now feels kind of, um, like corny a little bit, but on the other hand, it's like, it's something I actually like to do. I like to be part of a team and I like to succeed together. And so it resonated with me. And so part of that is actually recognizing when other members of your team do, do a great job. And, uh, we, you know, you, I, I, I appreciate that. And I like to do that, um, with my team members. And so I, it, it, um, I think that really helped, um, you know, people, when they knew they had to go above and beyond when they had to you know make it happen was the other thing we would say um they were willing to do it because they knew that people appreciated it and it was just part of the culture to 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 recognize that and and uh you know and and to some extent even as i'm describing it like you can imagine that being the description within um, other startups but it hadn't always been my experience um and for whatever reason you know it was different at Annika and so that um and we've now kind of brought that with us to Rackspace, and i think the two cultures have, are really well aligned there um, around that, that mindset.
1: Well, I want to thank Chris and Gwen and Richard for their insights and their experiences into this topic of developer burnout. You see, in a world where Gartner states that there will be more applications written in the next five years than in the previous 40 years of all computing, well, we've got to make sure that we're taking care of our most precious resources in accomplishing this task, and that's the developer. Besides, it's the right thing to do for our team members, our co workers, and our friends.
0: This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com.
1: Okay, so before I let the topic go completely, I wanted to let you know that the idea for doing an episode on developer burnout came from a paper written by Chris O'Malley, who you listened to a little bit earlier in this episode, and he wrote that for Rackspace, and it's now published over on solve.rackspace.com, and I highly encourage you go and check that one out and all the other great articles that we have there. Also, if you have any questions or comments or episode recommendations, or you just want want to get in touch with us you can now email the team and I over here at cloudtalk at rackspace.com I look forward to hearing from you now here's what we have in store for you in our next episode You're hitting a machine learning model in real time, right? And it's performing sentiment analysis, really. Um, that's In real time, it's transcribing the person's voice, the audio. It's capturing it. It's transcribing it to text. And then it's running it through a machine learning model to run some sentiment analysis on it. Could be pulling out key words, key phrases. And then from there, it provides the output, right, in real time to the agent. Maybe it's an emoji of a sad face, for example, right? Showing that, you know, the sentiment's a sad or an anger face. And that's next time on Cloud Talk.